I'm Kate Daniels. I just became aware of this particular Awareness Week, Truck Driver Appreciation. Once I did, it was quite obvious that these drivers are one of the categories of frontline workers who needed to be at their job this last year and a half so we'd have the things we need for our life. To provide more insights, we have Mark Singleton with us. Mark is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Southern Recipe, a company that supports the truck drivers in their work and is here to recognize them. Mark Singleton, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, it's our pleasure to be here. We love talking about our our, our partners uh, that that deliver our pork rinds all over the country. Uh, It's such a great opportunity to remind America how much of our food uh, comes to them by truck. And you know, yes, exactly, Mark. And that's the thing that... We, um, especially during this pandemic, have been focusing on the things that are really fundamental to us. And we talk about the frontline workers and how critical they've been. And no kidding, they have been critical. And, And we've thought about, you know, the grocery store workers, definitely critical because we've really relied on getting our food. And then there's that important piece of getting the food to the stores. And somehow, I don't know if others are like me, kind of, I blipped on that. So, Becoming aware of truck driver appreciation, I thought, well, of course, yes, these people, these men and women who are out there driving these big rigs, getting the food across the, the, the country, they really need this recognition. So thank you for partnering to uh, be here and, and, and sing their praises. Well, you know, it, it started over a decade ago for us. We found out there's a truck driver appreciation weekend, so we put out pork rinds. Uh, you know, by our doctors, uh, and I think gave out hats and T-shirts just to say thanks, you know. Ah, I didn't know those truck driver appreciation. Like, we'll do this. And then I found out about St. Christopher's. I went on the board a couple of years later, and, and Kate, I got to tell you, these people do amazing work uh, for an amazing group of workers across America. St. Christopher's has been around forever. It's a 501c3, and, and they help truckers out who have, had health issues, can't drive for some reason, pay medical bills. They have preventative programs. It's just a wonderful um, charity. It's a wonderful way to say thank you. And, 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 and they just have educated me so much on how incredibly important these 800,000 men and women are uh, to the economy of America. It, it's just everything you wear and eat comes to you by truck. You know, I, I guess a couple of people are getting stuffed by drones now, but the majority of it's coming in a truck. Yes, I, I think we'd be hard-pressed to think about drones delivering everything that we're needing, right? Oh, it's 10 <laughs> billion tons, 10 billion tons, $700 billion. And, and it's just, it's, when you think about the last 16, 18 months, which have been the most challenging of my long career, they, they they kept working. They stayed on the front line. They they despite the risk, with with all the confusion that, that that we all faced at first, and committed themselves to keeping America functioning. I mean, remember when everybody ran out of toilet paper? That's when everybody had a flat head moment and say, "Huh, you know what's going on here?" And and these men and women kept those shelves full. 
but they just did an amazing job. And so did all the, the, the factory workers in America. My God, the people in our plants, Kate, the dedication, the, the, the absolute work to figure it out, ingenuity that it took to get through this thing has just been so humbling and, and, and awesome to watch. And on on top of the uh, pandemic and your workers, you were saying uh, before we actually started the, this recording that th- with the hurricane, uh, you've had to shut down the factories at least for short term, right? Yeah, you know we have a plant in New Hebron, Mississippi, and 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 Katrina just came, you know, about a hundred miles away from us. Winds were still uh, blowing pretty good, knocked out electricity, made it difficult for some people to get to work, but we're back uh, operational now. Um, You know, when you live on the Gulf Coast, you expect a certain amount of, you know, as we were talking, uh, hurricanes blow stuff down, and and we're pretty good at getting stuff back up and and running again. Uh, Lots of generators, lots of things like that, you know, in preparation of it, and uh, this storm... Uh, due to all the work that's been done since Katrina, uh, while it was a powerful, powerful storm, uh, there was not the same loss of lives and, and real tragic. And, and there were, and all, every life lost in something like this is a tragedy. But it was so much better than Katrina. So I'm glad that uh, that people are safe and that you're getting things back uh, on track again and and the the trucks will roll in and be rolling out on our roadways again right oh absolutely and, and you know that's so wild to watch in my almost 40 years of doing this we've gotten so good at just in time materials our people are so smart our computers are so connected our truck and rail systems are so dependable you know, we don't keep all the inventory that we used to keep. And I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about everybody. And so what America witnessed is just if there's a blip, uh, like with computer chips for trucks right now, there's just strange blips going on out, out there. And, and, you know, before COVID, we needed more truckers. I've worked for a decade to get Congress to pass bills to get us more people in the trucking industry to – you know, a kid can drive a truck in Afghanistan, but he can't drive a truck from Texas to Arkansas to deliver pork rinds. And I find that kind of silly. With the proper training, with the proper education, with the proper equipment, we can safely transport things with 20-year-old veterans. It's kind of silly, and there's a lot of stuff like that and that we work on. But, the, you know, the main focus right now is Truck Driver Appreciation Week, September 12th through the 18th, and I urge all your listeners to go to St. Christopher's website and look it up. This is There's some really cool people doing some really great stuff for some people that need our help. And there we do have an opportunity and one way to say thank you, and that is by supporting the effort and thus supporting the families of these truckers who are often independent contractors, aren't they? Oh, yes, ma'am. And they have great stories. You know, they feed themselves on the road. They do 120,000 miles a year. It's amazing. And we've got a great contest out there on our website right now, truckdriverappreciationweek.com. It's a TikTok chit-chat contest where any of your listeners can go and watch our trucker videos, and some of them are just cuter than heck. Very funny. 
and vote and they get entered to win a thousand dollars and six month supply of pork rinds. Whoa, that's just cool. by voting. You don't have to buy anything. Don't have to do any other thing other than entertained. And tell us which one you like best. <laughs> so let's mention that website once again, Mark. Truckdriverappreciationweek.com. And if you can't remember that, southernrecipesmallbatch.com. That is so great. So that is one great way to support, and we actually get a, a nice opportunity uh, and maybe a gift out of it ourselves. Um but there are some other things that we should really consider with our truck drivers who, you know, now we, we need to think of them as some of the critical frontline workers transporting necessary goods across the country, transporting our foods. Well, you know, absolutely. And, and you know, I see this, well, <laughs> my, my mother, uh, I'm somewhat taken aback sometimes by people's anger and, and aggressiveness to each other, especially in these stressful times. And you know, I, we can all watch our mindsets. We can all watch, uh, we can let a driver in. Remember, they're driving 40,000 pounds and 18 wheels. And, you know, they're not, it's not an easy thing to do. And especially in some of the highways in Texas that seem to be in, under construction for my entire lifetime. Um, so, you know, we, we, can, we can share the road, you know, let them in. Um, you know, understand that their options sometimes are limited. That truck is going to go where it's going to go. And, 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 and it, it really is, uh, no, no truck drivers intent to cut a, 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 a car off. Uh, these, these men and women are incredible professionals and, and, and it, doing a very tough job. The and, other thing is 63% of truck drivers use Facebook, you know, use a hashtag like, you know, truck driver appreciation week and you'll reach many truckers and, and man, how far does a thank you go, Kate? Really? Yes. And I wanted to mention to the point of uh, you're saying they don't intentionally cut anyone off. And, and I think it's rare. I, I can't even recollect that. But I often see a vehicle, a car, doing just that, the way they cut in, whether it's impatience, whether it's anger, but just cutting in so closely in front of this huge, humongous truck, you know, with a trailer behind it. So, yes, you say, be respectful, be considerate, right? Right, and understand that that truck driver, I guarantee you, he he has driven eight hours to get you your LaCroix strawberry water. <laughs> I mean, you know, none of us get the things we need to make our lives semi-normal without these great men and women. And the cool thing is, it, it, it's, you know, I, I have 10 rules I, I try and live by. And number eight is, you know, if we don't overcomplicate things, we're just friends making money together. And, you know, these, these people are just such important partners to all of us. No matter what you do, you owe a meal, a shirt, a, a pair of tennis shoes, a wedding ring to a driver. It's just amazing how, how big a part they play in our lives and how we just don't say thank you enough. 
Absolutely. And thus to have the week dedicated to saying that, to putting the focus on. I mean, they do this day after day all year long. You know, there's no day off for many of them. They just keep on trucking, as the saying goes. Yeah, you know, uh, Dave Nemo, the host of the, the Dave Nemo Trucker Show, and Mike Burns, golly, I'm trying to remember how long ago, 25, 30 years ago, uh, along with the doctor, put together this program and, and it's just, it, it helps so many sitting on the board. I get to listen to the stories. Uh, we review, you know, tons and tons of, of the real life people were able to affect. It's just unbelievable. And golly, we had such support last year. Uh, we had country uh, Western artists doing online concerts and raising money for us. And, and you could just tell how much everybody was saying thank you. And as we enter year two of this thing, this is just a great opportunity to really rekindle that effort of last year and say thank you in a way that, that really moves the needle for some families across America. And, you know, we're going to start it off by donating $5,000 off the bid. And, and boy, if you're looking for a great charity to give a dollar, $2, $5, buy a hat, uh, or support in any way, please give the St. Christopher Truckers Development and Relief Fund a, a look. Absolutely. And that website once again, Mark? Truckersfund.org. That's easy enough for me. That's the reason we have porkrimes.com, okay? Because <laughs> I can't remember a lot of this stuff. But go to truckersfund.org and uh, watch our contest, enter to win, and learn more about what you can do to say thank you during Truck Drivers Appreciation Week. And then every other day when we're on the roadways, be kind, correct? Absolutely. You know, it's just too easy. I mean, I can't think of anybody that's going out of their way to irritate me. You know, I grew up in, in a very small town in Texas, and, and I don't know where you grew up, but, you know, on the little farm to market roads as you're going to town, you'd, you wouldn't see many people, and you knew everybody you saw, right? Mm-hmm. You, you knew John's truck or Mark's truck or Bill's truck. And you've got your hand up on the steering wheel and you, you wave, you know, two fingers. I call it the Texas two finger. You know, it's just such a easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to wave. It's an easy thing to smile. It's an easy thing to let people in. And if you didn't in a small town, Kate, it was horrible. I mean, it got to my mother right away. Why didn't I wave to Kate? You know. <laughs> Uh, and you didn't want to mess with Lucy Joe. Still to this day, it's about, I only fear two things, water moccasins and my mama. So <laughs> if I hadn't have turned out okay, it was my fault. <laughs> well, you do sound really very okay. And the fact that you're so involved in Trucker Appreciation Week and spending time with us this morning, I say you're super okay, Mark Singleton. So thank you oh. for your dedication, for taking time to help us to become more aware. Oh, you bet, Kate. And remember, we've got the best tasting pork wines in the Northwest. And, uh, we just really appreciate the opportunity to talk to y'all today. The appreciation goes both ways. So many thanks, Mark Singleton. 
Now we switch gears and turn the spotlight to the organization, the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, who for 25 years now has worked to bring awareness, provide education and advocacy around the issue of tobacco use and vaping with our youth, which continue to be serious issues. Greg Wachorek is the principal of Arrowhead Union High School in Heartland, Wisconsin, and has devoted himself to this cause in all his years in this position. Lori Rubiner is the executive vice president for domestic programs at the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids and very active in advocacy with schools and government agencies. Greg Wickshorek and Lori Rubiner, thank you so greatly for being with us this morning about such an important, critical topic, our kids, and uh, the, this whole situation with smoking, cigarettes, and particularly e-cigarettes and vaping. So um, let's start with you, Greg, as a high school principal, what you have seen happening um really over the years and 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 has it has have things improved so i mean i've been the principal in the same school this is my 29th year and when i first came to to my school we had a, a pretty significant smoking problem cigarette smoking problem and we took lots of uh steps working with our community working with a lot of different people and we really uh kind of eradicated the problem so we really didn't have that problem I was feeling very good about the fact that we, we, we were able to get that out of the school. And then about five or six years ago, we started seeing the in, this influx of uh, vaping and um, uh, the e-cigarettes. And it was like we fought the battle, we won the battle, and now we have to fight another battle. And so it is. It, I would say it, it's a pretty significant. I know nationally about one in five high school students vape on a regular basis. It's 20 percent, and that's a, that's a pretty significant number. I would say that my school would probably be very similar to that. I've seen some very sad cases, sad situations where young men and women who have lost all of their co-curricular eligibility because they were so addicted to the vaping and the nicotine in the vape devices that they that that became more important to them than the activities they've been doing since they've been little kids. And so they persisted with that, even though they knew they were going to lose something so significant in their life. The the nicotine overtook that. Yes, they, and they've been so when they get caught, they were told, "Okay, this, you're going to lose twenty percent of your of their first season." And they know this, and they and they still got caught three more times throughout the school year. It takes four to to lose your uh, your eligibility. And they and and it's not easy to catch them because it's very the devices are very easy to conceal. They don't give up a lot of you don't give up a ton of smoke or puff or you know a steam. And they if you can take one puff and stick it back in your pocket and you don't have to worry about burning yourself. So for all those reasons, it's very easy to conceal. Yet they were still getting caught. So that just really shows us how insidious this is versus cigarette smoking. That the vaping really. Is I'm going to call it evil. The way that um, you you describe, they can just take a puff and hide it in their pocket, and it's really safe that way. Safe in the sense of yeah. preventing them from you know having a smoldering cigarette in their pocket. Correct. 
Well, thank you for giving us a, a look at the lay of that landscape, uh, Greg. Lori, as the vice president of the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, what do you find you're doing and, and the organization is doing to help uh, both the schools, the principals, the teachers, and parents? Well, I think the most important thing is partnering with the schools and the school nurses and the principals because the communication um, between schools and parents is really critical. Um, You know, kids are going back to school now, which is great, um, but it also means that there's going to be an onset of, um, of these kinds of activities again because some of this is a result of peer pressure. Um, you know, we've got 3.6 million kids who are using e-cigarettes, including one in five high school students. And Greg sees this every day in his school, as he said. And because kids are spending so much time in the schools, sometimes it's the school, it's the school nurse, it's the principal, it's the teacher who's going to see this first. And so it's really important that the lines of communication between the parents and the school are open and um, because they may, they're the first lines of defense often. Um, and so that's why our organization is partnering with Greg's organization and with the school nurses to get the word out that this is a problem and how we can help. So, Greg, are you finding that this collaboration is really working, although, you know, here we are still grappling with the pandemic and not being able to really meet together? How are you finding that connection then in in terms of the community with the parents? So the, the having the connection with, uh, with, the, with the tobacco-free kids, uh, and the School Nurses Association is, is vital. I mean, anytime that we can work together, we can share information. They have resources uh, available to them, uh, the tobacco-free uh, kids. And so um, that, that, our, that all of our parents can access, they're free to access, but we need to know about them. And that's, that, that's kind of the whole process is we're going to be educating our principals so that, that all the schools have this information. Because oftentimes that's what ends up happening, right? The parents will have notice there's a problem or, or it come, manifests itself in the school. We find out there's a problem. And now the school counselor tries to get them in some type of a program or some way of helping them alleviate that, that, that addiction that they have. And so the, having this partnership with, with these folks is going to be instrumental in, in having us really get to the bottom of this and really solve this problem for, for our teens because this is, this is really – very dramatic. Again, when one five teens are smoking, high school kids are, sm- are are vaping rather on a daily basis. It's a serious problem, and and those problems manifest themselves in many ways uh, that, that that are going to be very detrimental for their development, their brain development, and their development as students. And and that is really the crux of it is how it affects them physically, the brain development, and what this then means for their future. So. It is vitally important to get that information across. So how will parents then receive this information? How can they collaborate with the schools? What are they watching for in their youth to see if they're actually um, indulging in this? So I would say that the way we communicate this is we have most schools have weekend, weekly or, or monthly flyers that go out to parents, this communication of things that are happening, uh, you know, resources that are available to them. 
think students who are who are having troubles with this, the counselors and the schools will know about it, be able to share that information with the parents as well. So I think those are, you know, those are, are two big ways. I think the other part of it is, is that is that we can also talk to these parents, make sure that they are communicating with their children. That's the big one. The more that they're talking, the more they're communicating, the more they're having these discussions, the better off we will have of stopping kids from doing this. Because that's the big thing. These, 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 there are over 15,000 flavors, and the flavors are like gummy bear and cotton candy and blueberry, and all those are done to try to attract young people to, to get started on this. But once they're started, it's the nicotine that keeps them hooked and get them into buying tobacco, you know, basically buying nicotine products. And so the more, again, more communication we can have that we can share with our with these parents and that they know what to look for and what to, and, and what's, you know, what, what's their possible red flags are, that will be very beneficial for everybody. And yes, the mention of those flavors, Lori, as with tobacco-free kids, the campaign for tobacco-free kids, isn't there like a, a a a bill in in the government where um, there's a push against having this available um, for well for in general having these kinds of flavors? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, actually, there is um, it's going through the uh, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Um, they have a, a deadline of September 9th to deny all applications for these um, flavored products. So there are about 6.5 million different flavored products on the market um, that have applied for approval. And the FDA has until September 9th to make a decision about whether to allow those market applications to go forward. And we are very much hoping that um, they will decide that these flavored products should not be allowed to um, go forward and be approved for sale. And that is the most important step that um, the government can take because um, they should not be approved for sale. Um, They have been the just in, you know, the 15,000 flavors um, that are part of these 6.5 million products um, have fueled the addiction among kids, and um, they should be denied market access. And so it, it seems to me, maybe naively, that this should not even be a consideration. It's so obvious that what the answer should be, that they should rule against these flavors. Well, that's certainly our view, and the science certainly bears that out. Um, you know, when you weigh the, um, the harm to children against the benefit to adults, and certainly there has been no evidence that um, the flavored products have been cessation, have been proven to be cessation devices, um, uh, then, you know, uh, the, the science bears it out that they should be denied uh, market access. So that is, we agree with you, and... We believe that's what the FDA's position should be, but, you know, we'll wait and see what they say. Um, you know, among those that are applying for market access is the Juul devices, um, which really have fueled the addiction, especially among teens. It's the most popular um, product among youth, um, and we really believe that they should not be allowed on the market. And is there any way that the public we, each citizen, is able to have a voice to rally against promoting these? 
Well, you certainly can let your legislators know that um, you don't approve of these products. Um, you know, and they can, and we've had many legislators who have weighed in with the FDA. I mean, it's a regulatory process, so um, it's a little bit different than um, it's not a piece of legislation. Um, but certainly, um, people should let their um, members of Congress know that they are not in favor of these products being on the market and um, having their kids have access to them. And that is certainly um, that the legislators can influence the um, oversight process. And we should mention uh, your website and also the opportunity then uh, to p- keep promoting in the your work and and all the uh, efforts that go into education and and uh, really s- rallying against the promotion of these products, um, a, a way to donate and support the work. So let's mention the website, Lori. Sure. It's tobaccofreekids.org, and thank you for that. Um, and we have lots of resources for parents, for teachers, for kids, um, for kids who are looking to quit, um, who've been a, addicted to nicotine. Um, so lots of resources there. And um, you know, for kids who want to get involved and um, help other kids quit. I mean, I think one of the things that Greg has pointed out is that the peer-to-peer counseling is really um, a great way to um, get kids involved and to help others quit. So, yeah, lots of lots of help on our website. Well, I appreciate the work that both of you are doing, Greg. Um, all the the years, the many years that you've devoted to our youth and and making an impact there. Uh, thank you for for doing that, Lori. Thank you for being involved with Tobacco Free Kids, and I appreciate the time you've spent here this morning uh, giving us some more insights. Because uh, it's through this education and this effort, I feel, that we're going to uh, make some headway, continued headway. So thank you for your work. Well, thank you for having us.